Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Eli, and today we return for another episode for Incubation Conversations, season two. In this season, we're gonna focus on providing students with the tools and insights necessary to succeed educating themselves in reference to basic science, research, and higher education. We want to provide a source of mentorship and guidance to students who feel overwhelmed by the complexity undergraduate life as they transition from graduate graduate slash medical through the use of personal experience accomplished educators and active administrators we hope to achieve our work. today we have a special guest with us uh sammy would you do the honors please yeah of course um today we have dr tony gonzalez um dr tony gonzalez grew up in uh, brownsville texas i believe in the uh, southernmost portion of texas um, pretty cool place. I've never been there, but I've heard a lot of his cool stories from there. Um, he went to the Texas Southmost College, and then he got his PhD from the University of Texas at Austin, and he also went to undergrad in University of Texas mm -hmm. at Austin yeah. as well. I'm sorry for that. Um, Dr. Gonzalez is currently professor as well at UT Austin in the Department of Molecular Biosciences, and he is a research educator for the Freshman, freshman Research Initiative uh, Plant Pathways Lab. Recently, he has been the recipient of the President's Associates Teaching Excellence Award and also has received an award from the Japanese Society of Plant Physiologists for having the Top Sided Review Paper Award. Additionally, Dr. Gonzalez is highly motivated in many panels, committees, and workshops relating to admissions, research, and he has spoken at many lecture series about the importance of research. From my own personal experience as well, Dr. Dr. Gonzalez is a highly favored professor and mentor figure amongst my peers through his unwavering support and cool demeanor towards students. So I'm super pumped about having him on the episode today, and hopefully um, he is as well. Um, that was such a nice introduction. <laughs> um, yeah, so Dr. Cheney, we can you tell us about a little bit about your research in plant genetics? Yeah, I'll try to keep it brief so I don't bore everybody, but it's uh, basically kind of, uh, the, the, the research is focused on the genetics that controls uh, cell fate determination in plants, particularly in the epidermis. So plant cells, not unlike people and human cells, have an identity, a special, a specialized function, a specialized fate. Um, and there's a whole lot of genetics and genetic pathway and, and you know architecture that controls what cell, what a cell is going to become, what it wants to be when it grows up, so to speak. And so we have kind of <clears throat> focused on, on understanding those kind of cellular events at the genetic level. At the genetic level, meaning like we're after the genes and the genetic pathways that are necessary to differentiate specialized cells on the epidermis. And so we use a plant model called the Arabidopsis. And then within Arabidopsis, we study a group of specialized cells on the epidermis, like uh, little hair cells. Have you ever seen a leaf that's kind of fuzzy? Uh, those are those are often uh, single cell projections of the epidermis, so they're very large and they're very specialized, and they have all kinds of functions in the plant, defensive and and all kinds of other things. Um, pigments, all the pigments you ever see in the plant kingdom, you know the beautiful shades of red and blue and purple and pink, and um, those are uh, produced in the epidermis, just like pigments produced in our epidermis. So we study. Um, the genetic regulation of pigment production, where we've probably been the most research active and we've pu published the most. Um, and, uh, and also there's specialized cells on the seed coat, so we're kind of all over the place, but what all these different cell types have in common is that they're epidermal in nature. They're on the seed, they're on the leaves, they're all over the place in the case of pigment producing cells. And so, um, and so besides just kind of using that to understand the basic 
uh, biology of cell fate determination. Once we learn that, then we can apply that knowledge. For example, like you know, in crop species, uh, it's it's really uh, um, uh, a lot of people have interest to produce these pigments in crop species because the pigments are really healthy for you. Um, they're powerful antioxidants. They're demonstrated anti-cancer properties, and so people are always looking to engineer plant pigments into um, crop species to make them more healthy. Similarly with the hairs, they're very defensive and they protect plants from like insects. Uh, and so there's interest in kind of using uh, the genetics behind the hair cell development to help plants become more uh, resistant to pests and stuff like that. So that's kind of that's what we do in a, in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. Wow, that sounds amazing. Um, what got you interested in plant biology? What got me interested? Yeah. <clears throat> well, you know, uh, kind of by accident, really. So, so a lot of people, you know, they, they say, "Oh, you're a plant biologist." They start asking me all these plant questions, and I'm like, "I don't really know that much about plants." <laughs> uh, uh, I know, I know some, and I've learned more over the years, and I'm trying to live up to my to my botany degree here. But, but w basically, it's kind of like you know, I, I study plants in the same way like a, a, a fly researcher studies Drosophila, or 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 you know, someone studying m mammalian biology would use a mouse model or a rat model. And so I kind of came to plants, not out of like an inherent pure interest in plants, although I have that now, but out of an interest in genetics and molecular biology. And so I've kind of, you know, so if you're a geneticist or a molecular biologist, you got to work on something, right? You got you to have some model system. So like I said, some people work on flies if it's questions about development or, you know, some people will work on, uh, you know, like mice if it's, if it's more kind of mammalian biology. And, uh, or you can study, you can work, you can do genetics and molecular biology on plants. And so it's just kind of an accident of my undergraduate kind of research experience being in a plant lab and really, really enjoying that. Matter of fact, it's kind of funny because I think I worked in that, as an undergrad, I worked in that molecular biology lab for probably a few weeks before I even realized we were working on plants. <laughs> because oh no, oh no. In the molecular biology lab, it, you can go weeks without seeing the organism. That you're actually, yeah. you're all at the level of the DNA and the mm -hmm. genetics, and, 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 and you work a lot with E. coli bacteria, not because you study E. coli, but because that they're a tool of the research. And so for a while, I thought we worked on bacteria. And, oh, idiot, like, we were, one day I opened this door, and there's all these grow lights and plants everywhere. I'm like, what's going on in here? And they're like, that's what we work on. Uh, and so... so and so because I was, as an undergrad, I was just kind of being given like certain projects like at other stages that didn't really directly involve the plant. And so, so that's kind of how I got into plant biology, like I said, totally by accident. But I love it now and I'm, and I'm trying to branch out. And, and the professor I got my PhD under was a true plant biologist. He was a horticulturist first. He had the opposite experience. He was a horticulturist. He loved plants, growing plants. He got hired at Monsanto to run their greenhouses. And then he looked at the geneticists and said, what are those guys doing? Mm. And they're like, what are they doing? Gene splicing and recombinant DNA technology. He's like, I want to do that. So, so they trained him as a geneticist. So, so he's really cool because he's got that deep plant knowledge and then became a geneticist. Most of us are geneticists first, you know, molecular biologists first, and then we come to plants as a model or something like that. And so this is uh, Dr. Lloyd? That's Dr. Lloyd, yeah. Nice. Yeah, um, I still work with today. So I, he, he was my undergraduate, you know, kind of research uh, mentor. Uh, then I then I dabbled in other labs. Then I came back to his lab for grad school, and I work with him to this day. So yeah, it's been a very uh, awesome. long and fruitful collaboration. 
I can definitely say that um, <laughs> in my experience working in this lab, I, my, the plants have not given me any issue at all. It is just the E. coli and yeah. the transformation <laughs> I'm stuck at. So Yeah, right. Like how many times have you seen a plant versus how many times have you seen E. coli? Yeah, it, I just look at the, the bacteria yeah. on the plates. And <laughs> I'm sure they haunt your, they haunt your dreams. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a true undergrad experience. Thrown <laughs> in a whirlwind. Yeah. Um, which kind of leads to our next question. You led a perfect segue. Do you believe participating in research is important even if you do not want to pursue graduate school in an undergraduate level? Yeah, that's a really good question because, you know, it's easy to say, well, I'm not going to do that as a career or, you know, or even sometimes parents thinking like undergraduate research is an extracurricular that's going to distract from, mm -hmm. from your grades. But I would say it's really important in, and it's no different than any other kind of internship or job that, that, that grows you professionally, that builds your network, that lets you work with like, you know, professionals at other levels, um, that lets you tap into uh, some work that's like self-driven and, and you have ownership of it. So research does all those things, right? You, you start to work with faculty in a very real world way. So the classroom, I hate to say it, is not the real world, right? I don't have to tell you all that. It, it, you know, uh, people, uh, you know, a, a scientist, a practicing scientist doesn't go to lectures all day long and then take exams at the end of the week or something like that. They work on experiments, they work with other people, they go to talks, they present their work. So undergraduate research uh, does all those things that like all the buzzwords right now, 21st century skills. So like, you know, being able to communicate, being able to collaborate, being able to troubleshoot, being able to think critically, being able to like, you know, kind of work through problems. Re a research experience um, will teach you all that. And you know, I'll be the first to say, it's not unique to research. You can do this if you get a good internship somewhere or whatever the equivalent in like the history department is, undergrads there can work with a history professor and, and do real work rather than just kind of like strict traditional coursework. So a research experience will build all those things for a student, and it's basically what it did for me. It kind of finally, I was began to know professors outside of that kind of traditional context of like you're just the, the the teacher, the lecturer. I'm just the student. It's a very kind of non-dynamic one-way interaction. They blah 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 lecture for like an hour, three times a week, and you never get to interact with them. So it, it builds people's networks. It teaches them, you know, troubleshooting. Um, it, gets them to take ownership because over the work because now the work isn't grade driven anymore it's there's a purpose there's yeah. a goal and it's very collaborative like you know we're working towards the same thing so <clears throat> that's why it's really important even if you have no intention of going to research or or even if you don't want to do that because most people uh most of my students don't become researchers that's an unrealistic kind of thing i think i started out that way like i was going to convert everybody into into research and i quickly learned no no that's not that's not the case <laughs> but it was still a very re rewarding experience for my students because they were coming away with, um, you know, like again, kind of a network. Um, they all, most of them, go to med school or or, or health or in the health uh, healthcare. But they wouldn't, you know, trade their research experience mm -hmm. for the world because they 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 got a lot out of it. It helped them get into med school, not just because med schools like to see that maybe you did some research but because they got that amazing letter of recommendation from a faculty member who truly knew the student, right? And could write this nuanced uh, letter full of anecdotes rather than just kind of like, well, they were in my class, they got an A, they showed up, they turned up everything on time. 
that kind of real generic stuff. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's important to do things like research, but not just research. Get out of that, your comfort zone, and get to know people, and build a network, and all that kind of good stuff. So, um, To add to that, I just want to say that like I feel all of the skills that you said that research helps you develop, I totally agree with. But one of them I feel is really important in distinguishing between like a research setting and a lecture setting is like it's more okay like you learn to fail and you learn yeah. patience like yeah. it kind of when you fail in like a lecture like you did like you did terrible on some exam you feel like it's over but in research <laughs> it kind of teaches you like oh well you can just try again you know and maybe you'll get something next time yeah i'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up but i totally forgot that but, you know i kind of kind of spaced there one of the it's it's, it's not just those nitty-gritty professional skills it's also those perspective shifts and that those attitude shifts where traditional schooling like we've all been you know you're taught that failure is bad failure is negative it's to be avoided at all costs you know even challenges and struggles are like negative things but in research it's kind of the opposite all the breakthroughs happen from the challenges and the struggles and challenges are not icky things to be to, to run away from they're actually you want to embrace them head on because you kind of know almost selfishly that the more I'm challenged and the more I struggle, the better I'm going to get. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like training. It's like an athlete, right? If an athlete just complained about how, oh man, it sure hurts to run. Uh, I don't think I want to do that anymore. Uh, isn't there a magic <laughs> bullet I can, you know, a magic pill that I can take and just become a better athlete? And I had that really bad mentality where, when I was a student where I, I wanted to take shortcuts to study. I'm like, I shouldn't have to work this hard. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is you gotta you got to work hard and it's like training. It's got to hurt. You got to put in your time and your effort, and then you get better. So, so a research experience does that. It kind of teaches you that sometimes the best things can happen are those mistakes you made, or that confusing data you got to make sense of and wrestle with, or just overcome that kind of those roadblocks in the research, and and then um, and those are also very important kind of transferable skills that you can take anywhere. Uh, it's that attitude adjustment, yeah. that attitude shift, that. That, that you begin to look at mistakes and failure in a whole new light and they're just, you know, learning opportunities is all they are. I agree, 100%. Yeah, 100%. I feel like I learn more and more every day by doing new types of research than I've ever learned in a classroom. Now that doesn't say much because I don't learn from a classroom much anymore, but <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah, do you do some research in med school or you get a chance to do? Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, I don't sleep. I do a lot. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I just, you know, I, I feel like just anecdotally from what I hear from former students and stuff, like, you know, different med schools can be really different with respect to the emphasis on on any kind of research. So you go to a, a school that kind of uh, gives you a lot of opportunities and... Actually, no. And that's one thing that made me change perspective as we talked is I went, my undergrad was very involved, one-on-one kind of uh, follow the steps and you get the research you want, you get a good mentor. In my medical school, it's a little bit more uh, freelancing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to reach out, you need to dig, you need to find the projects you are interested in. And then you need to make sure they have a spot for you. That makes sense. Yeah. And even when that happens, you're not getting much of a, uh, much of instruction most of the time and you have to figure it out by yourself. So. The challenges are there. I've this year, so I started really bench heavy research, and now I'm transitioning more to clinical stuff, more uh, case review, more chart uh, digging, and the amount of 
things I'm learning to how to become more efficient in my thought process, to anticipate the next moves um, of the scientific process is really, like I look back on myself when I started, I'm like, wow, I've come a long way. And that's just, um, just me figuring it out as I go, which makes me really happy. I'm glad I had a good solid background that I was able to build on. That's, that's how I am right now. And that's a good way to view it, like a journey. But, you know, it's like you can't yes. be frustrated with the path because the path is the path. You know, it's like it's it's yeah. what you got to kind of go through. And so and unique, and that, that, that's where all the learning happens. You just kind of look back at that path and go, oh, wow. You know, it's, it's, it's been a long way. It, was, it wasn't always straight. And there were some details, but yeah. just, that's the good stuff. And honestly, I wouldn't even want to go back to being extremely mentored now. I, I enjoy the independence. Mm-hmm. more than I ever thought. I, when I first started, I was like, oh, I need more mentoring. And now I'm like, no, nah, I'll figure it out by myself. And if I have questions, I'll reach out. But other than that, I'm okay. So I really appreciate that transition from a student researcher to somewhat of a more independent student researcher, if that makes sense. Right, but you know, but you, but you also have the wherewithal to like ask for help when you need it. But you're right, you want to buy it yourself first and see how far you get and then kind of, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Um, so, Dr. Gonzalez, um, what made you decide to go to graduate school? <laughs> um, my my PI. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, what happened? Here's what happened. So, like, uh, I, I, I'm pretty go with the flow, which is probably why me and research get along. Because that's research is very kind of you have to go with the flow. But I, I kind of I, I knew I wanted to do it. I knew it was a thing that I was probably meant to do. But I was also just kind of working in a lab as a lab tech, so it's kind of like a in between. It's just kind of a, a kind of a lack of a better word, kind of a dead end job in the sciences, where like you graduated, but you're you're maybe getting a little more experience in the sciences. So I was I was kind of just like a, a research assistant, like a lab te- what we call a lab tech, mm-hmm. and um, um, for the guy I did for Alan Lloyd, the guy I was doing kind of, I did undergrad research for, and I'm doing really well. I'm having a blast. And he's like, you ought to go to grad school. I'm like, yeah, I know, I know, I'm gonna go. He's like, no, you need to like apply like to grad school. <laughs> like, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. And he's like, nope, we're gonna do it like this cycle. And he like literally kind of stood over my shoulder like while I filled out applications. Cause, because that's the kind of, you know, idiot I am. I'm just, you know, kind of go with the flows, enjoying the experience. I was having fun in the moment. And I, I wasn't really, I didn't have that motivation to take the next step. So he was really, speaking of mentors and why you do research, <laughs> he was a really good mentor who kind of recognized that like, yeah, this kid can do this and, and he really should do this, but you know, he's kind of a dumbass too. And so we need to like give him a little, sorry, but I didn't mean to, uh, uh, and he, we give him a little push. And so he was really instrumental and, and really cool about kind of, you know, helping me uh, do that. Something I knew I kind of wanted to do, I've always been interested in science, even as a kid, and like most scientists, um, and growing up in a small town in South Texas, I had major imposter syndrome. So part of it was also that, like, well, I can't really do it. Like, in the back of my head, like, I like it, but it's more like a hobby. Like, you know, just like video games are a hobby, but I'm not going to make a career out of that, right? That's just ridiculous. Although a lot of people do now. <laughs> but but, uh, but um, so I just kind of thought of it almost like a hobby that I was kind of enjoying. And I really didn't think at the highest level it was for me. I wasn't just smart enough or clever enough or whatever. And so he was, you know, like I said, really instrumental in just kind of 
uh, helping me break through those barriers and just like, just do it, just apply. You're, do, you're gonna be doing the exact same thing you're doing as a tech, but you'll do it in grad school, you'll earn a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so something I always was interested in, something I always wanted to do, uh, but the real push came from him. And uh, I was even applying, at the time I, I, I decided to do that, I was applying to pharmacy school mm-hmm. because that was more familiar because uh, my dad was a pharmacist, my sister is a pharmacist, my grandfather was a pharmacist. So I'm like, all right. So while I was lab teching, trying to figure out what my next steps were, I started to apply to pharmacy school. And I was just about in when I just dropped it and applied to grad school because cause Alan, uh, my, 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 my uh, PI was like, no, you know, this is, you should apply mm-hmm. here. And don't worry, I had horrible undergrad grades. He's like, don't worry about that. Like you, people know you and, and, and we all we care about is the lab work and you can do that. And worst case scenario, you know, I'll, I'll, you can come in my lab. I'm like, well, that's where I want to go anyway. <laughs> so it was, a, so it, was, it was perfect. Um, and so that's kind of how I got into it. it. You know, can't say it was very premeditated or I had it all figured out. Um, a little bit of dumb luck, a little bit of, you know, kind of, you know, uh, just fortuitous situations, a good mentor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, that's how it worked out. Awesome. I'm glad you got to be where you are today, because otherwise <laughs> you didn't, probably wouldn't be on this episode today. <laughs> it all led to this moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fate. Yeah. I um, really want to touch on the good mentor, but I feel like that should be another episode because I want to get to the good stuff that you do, which is teaching freshmen. Um, so you've worked extensively with them, especially with the uh, freshman project. What's the biggest mind shift, uh, mindset shift that students have to go through between um, high school and college, in your opinion, is? And what have you noticed? Yeah, okay. So the biggest thing I try to kind of break my students of, and, and Sammy, you can probably uh, attest to some of this in your own personal experience, but I try to really take that focus away. And it's hard, especially because not only high school have prepared you to think this way, but then if you're pre-med, you're definitely hardwired to think this way, where everything is done for the sake of the grade. Like mm-hmm. everything is kind of grade oriented. And your every question, your every concern is like, how is, you know, what is this going to affect like grade wise, you know? So it's the carrot and stick of like just grades, grades, grades. And in the real world, um, as I'm sure you know now in your third year of medical school, at some point grades go away. I don't know when they go away in med school. <laughs> Hopefully by your third year. They've been gone. They've been gone, right? Yeah. So right away. So the second you enter any kind of real world setting, it's like this this, this, this whole grade mentality, it, you're, that's not what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And so one thing I try to do is get my students to realize that there's other purposes and, 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 and higher purposes than the grade. Um, and I'm lucky because if I were teaching a lecture course, this would be hard because guess what? I'd be giving out grades. But in research, I've got this lab, I've got this playground, I've got this venue where we can take grades off the table. And I do, right? So like, it's yes. just great. Like, <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I can attest to that. So it's just like, I try to like, just, I just ignore grades. I kind of ignore or divert questions about grades. Uh, of course, the syllabus has to have language about how everything's going to be graded and broken down. But after, besides that, we don't talk about it. It's all about the work. So we're lucky, like, like I said, we're lucky in that if we have projects, if we have experiments, if we have, you know, things to do in the lab with our hands and with our eyes and ears and senses and, you know, even the smells of the lab, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> something else can take over uh, relatively quickly. 
and students realize, okay, I'm not doing this for a grade, I'm doing this because I need to purify this DNA sample. Why? So I can run this PCR reaction. Why? So I can amplify my gene and like build a fusion. Why? So we can get into the plant and figure out what this gene does. So something else takes over. The grade is, is, is no longer, I mean, grade's still there, it's hard, <laughs> but, uh, but, <clears throat> but it's that shift where everything is done for a grade, everything is done for like doing well on an exam. Um, <laughs> something happened. <laughs> just keep going. We'll start. Something, all right. I thought we had a technical glitch. Yeah. Uh, everything is done for the exam. Every, and it's kind of a depressing mentality, and, and it's liberating to kind of break out of that mentality. At least I hope it's liberating. Mm -hmm. It's actually scary at first. I mean, students have this fear of like changing to something new and different, even if it's something better, right? It's, it's, you, you stick with what you know. You want those hoops, those really well-defined hoops to jump through, mm -hmm. um, and 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 break and breaking that mentality, especially through research, something kind of intimidating, with like unknown outcomes, um, no one knows the the answer, not even the professor, and and it's it, it can be a little bit of a of a painful kind of transition, but if you can make that transition, it's going to serve you well in the long run because you have to learn to get your motivation from somewhere else yeah. at some point, other than just the grade, the grade, the grade, and how am I going to do in the, in the class, you know, grade-wise. Mm -hmm. And so that's the biggest shift, I think, that uh, the most important shift a student can do at any stage, even in high school, you can learn to do things for some other reason besides the grade uh, if you can really tap into opportunities that help you make that shift. But that's, that's what I see as kind of the biggest uh, shift. Because, you know, and that mentality got these students here. That's, that's the weird thing. That mentality got you here to a place like UT, which has basically become an elite mm -hmm. university. It's so hard to get in here. So I almost kind of feel bad about, like, trying to then say, no, but that's not, that's not good. <laughs> like, what got you here is it got you here, but you have to change. And at some point, you're going to be in med school or in grad school or working a job or an internship. And grades are off the table. And now what? Like, how do you motivate yourself? Where does your purpose and passion come from? And so that's kind of the biggest uh, shift. But again, I said I'm lucky because I have the best way to, to introduce that mentality because you have to have real work at the core. If it's not grades, then what is it? We have to have a project. We have to have a mission. We have yeah. to have a goal. And so if I was stuck teaching a lecture course, like, well, it is grades. <laughs> like, it is just the more exams and more quizzes and more assignments. So I can kind of just, I have quiz, I have exam, I'm mean, not exams, I have assignments and stuff, but it's all in the service of like the work. So if I give you something to read or, or an assignment or a list of questions, it's to actually help you get better at the research or understand the research better. So everything has a different purpose and it's, you know, it's driven by, by that common goal. And so, yeah, that, I know I've said it a thousand times, but that, that's kind of what, that's kind of what the, 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 I think the most important attitude shift uh, uh, a young student or a new college student can make is to try to learn to find their motivation and their passions and their interests. Uh, their reason for doing things uh, has to be something eventually yeah. other than grades. Definitely. And I think um, in terms of acceptances to medical schools, a lot of medical schools are developing a more holistic approach towards like looking at the student where they don't completely just base your admission on your grades or yeah. your MCAT or your whatever, they actually want to show that you actually care about something yeah. and that they're like moving away from just like metrics. I hope so. Is, <laughs> it's, it's, it's still it's, really, it still feels like it's yeah. the grades. Uh, it really is the grades, but yeah, there but, is, there has been a But it, but it can't just be the grades. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're right. And it's just, else. it's hard. Like uh, I, 
I agree that you want to go through this mission, you want to do that, but if you also want to pursue medical school, you still do need to do good. Yeah, you, you do. Know? So yeah, it's yeah. kind of like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a nice balance that you need to find. There's, don't yeah. try to kill yourself trying to do it, but also do something that you care about and try to do well. Yeah, and, and that's yeah. another lesson. There's definitely a tension. There's, yeah. there's always a tension. There's always competing interests. And how do you kind of recognize that and balance those those tensions? So yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, I will say in our school, there've been a lot of students who will tell you their undergrad life was not the most successful. Mm -hmm. Yet they were still able to make it to med school. So something else matters, and it's the experiences they went after. Um, and so what you're saying really mimics a lot of what I'm also seeing on my end here at the medical school, um, which is um, makes me happier. There've been a lot of push for grades and not enough diversity, and that kind of reflects on the patient as well. Yeah. And so being able to connect with hardworking people who do everyday stuff and not just uh, grade runners uh, is very important. So. And isn't the average like med school applicant like in their mid twenties? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like 20, I want to say 26. Yeah. That, they, that they've been out of school for a while and it's all about the experience mm -hmm. that, yes. they, that they're getting. And that's the relevant stuff. So I thought that's, I, I kind of learned that recently. I thought that was really interesting and telling because, oh, you've been out of school yeah. for five, six, seven years, and it hasn't been about grades for that long. They're obviously looking at other things, mm -hmm. right? Dr. Gonzalez, we have parents in our class. We're talking 30 yeah. to 40 even with yeah. two, three yeah. kids. Um, actually, there, there is a student in our class who has a kid who's, I think, 19 right now. Yeah. And I've, so, had, I've had a few <laughs> I've had a few students who, who told me like, oh yeah, my dad was in medical school when I was like eight or nine or 10. I remember, you know, the, mm -hmm. the grind, the long hours. I'm like, damn. I'm like, so, 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 so yeah, yeah, you can go. Yeah, one of my best friends uh, from, from high school, we were college roommates. He's now a real successful physician in San Antonio here. And he too, he didn't go into med school till he was like 27, 28, something like that. So yeah, so yeah, that's, that's, that's all, that's cool. That's encouraging, like you said. Yes, it is. It's very encouraging. And it kind of takes the pressure off. Oh, I have to do it now. Like yeah. this year, this cycle. No. And speak the mindsets that students, you got to break them out of. That's another one that, that you think, they, when they get here, they think the path is defined and it's really like short in a sense. It's like, I do this, I graduate at like, you know, 21, 22, whatever. And then I go seamlessly into this and then I go, and if, and the second that plan starts to fall apart, it's like, oh, I'm going to be homeless. So like the options are I get in the middle like 21 or I'm homeless. There's no, they don't understand that like, oh, no, 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 no. Ask every professor around here, ask every adult what their path was. It's never a rarely the, you know, I graduated high school and I was like 18. I got into college right after that. And then I graduated college four years later and immediately I went to med school or grad school or whatever. And then a few years after that, I had the degree. No, it's, it's just winding roads and back and forth and detours and blind alleys. And so students don't realize, they come in here thinking there's one way to succeed and a thousand ways to screw it up. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the opposite. There's a thousand ways to succeed. There's a lot of great outcomes that you can't even dream of yet because you haven't even been exposed to all the different careers and stuff. And so that's another mentality that I think is really important for students. And that's a harder one to almost kind of get them to, to, to learn because that's just life. That's just experience. Um, they have a plan and the second the plan starts to fall apart, they get really, really freaked out. Mm -hmm. 
And it's like, no, nah, man, I failed so many courses. Like, <laughs> I, you know, I, I've screwed up left and right. I didn't go to grad school till I was like 27. Um, after tooling around like in, in, in labs and stuff like that. So that's another mentality that, that there's a lot more way. It's, it's going to be okay. Like there's a lot more ways to get things right. You might discover your dream career has nothing to do with what you thought you wanted to do. And you had to go this other route. So that's, that's, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a, that's an important kind of a, a mentality to break out of this, that, that there's this one defined path to success and anything else is going to lead to failure. I like that. The, it's not just a thousand ways to fail and one way to succeed. That's, it's that's kind of the opposite. I yeah. mean, if you're a student at a major university like UT, like you've already kind of made it, mm -hmm. right? Like, like, you know, it, it's, you, you have a lot of resources and opportunities before you. And it's just a matter of like, what is it going to be? Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's what I mean by there's a lot of ways to succeed because you've got just this infinite number of opportunities, many of which you can't even dream of. And take the time while you're here to explore them because you might find something totally different. I mean, how are you supposed to know that that one path is the right path when you're 17, 18, you know? Yeah, kind of, you exactly. Know. So, so um, I'm, although I'm sure Sammy has it all figured out, so, so. <laughs> I try my best. I, you know, that, knows? that being said, could be that, that being said, my students often prove me wrong over and over again. A lot of y'all do just go right into med school after here, and I'm like, damn, okay, what do I know? So, but, but yeah, I, I, I get a sampling. Once again, I get the students who are the cream of the crop. They come to UT, and and they can have that kind of more uh, uh, direct trajectory. But if you take a grander sampling of people out there, we're all over the map, you know, with respect to our path. Thank you for joining us for part one of this episode with Dr. Tony Gonzalez. I hope you stay and listen to part two as well.